Our scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 2. If you have one of the church Bibles, that's on page 757. And I would like to read the whole chapter here at the beginning. Matthew chapter 2, this is the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream 
to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the Lord's word to us this Christmas morning. Christmas carols, excuse me, let me pray again as we come to study God's word. Our Father, please bless our time now in your word. We ask that you would speak to us and grant us understanding that we might be changed, that we too might seek the child, may seek your son to worship him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas carols annually remind us of some of the most important truths in the universe. Such as, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her. Come and behold him, born the of angels. This, this is Christ the with the angels let us sing hallelujah to our lovely. This The testimony abounds. At Christmas, we commemorate the birth of a king. A king who came from heaven to earth to make everything right. Do you wish for righteousness and justice on the earth? Because if so, the arrival of this King is an incredible comfort. But at the same time, the arrival of this king is also a tremendous threat to those who prefer to play at being kings themselves. Those who care more about holding on to power than about doing good for the people. Or those who gain prestige from celebrating things that God hates. Or those who prefer to ignore the facts of reality in favor of a designated narrative that keeps the population under control. 
If you have grown weary of such worldly leaders, I have a word for you from the Lord this morning. A word to guide your celebration of Christmas Day. The text that I just read shows us that in the world, many wear a crown. But only Jesus is the King. Will that comfort you on this day? Or will it sound like a threat? Because if you pay any attention to this story at all, you cannot be indifferent to it. The narrative of Matthew chapter 2 consists of four scenes each of which ends with a reference to the Old Testament. As we work through these four scenes, we must notice that the one who wears the crown is not the same as the one who is the king. Many wear a crown, but only Jesus is the king. The first scene shows us some wise men from a distant land who are in search of a king, not of a crown, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 tells us that these wise men came from the east. Now, for a number of reasons, I suspect they were most likely from Persia, having been influenced there by the writings of the Jewish prophet Daniel. But we don't, I confess, we don't know that with absolute certainty. What we do know quite clearly is that, one, they were foreigners and not Jews. Two, they were looking for someone specific. And three, they knew the time for this person had arrived because of the appearance of a star in the sky. Now this raises all kinds of questions. (laughs) Were they pagan astrologers? How many of them were there really? How did they know something supernatural was going to happen near Jerusalem? And and what the heck was up in the sky? Down in verse 9, it says that the star went before them to rest over the place where the child was. How did that work? Was this thing really a star Or was it just a really large and remarkably determined firefly (laughs) flitting about within our own atmosphere? People ask questions like this. We come to this text in the 21st century with all these questions. And I regret to inform you this morning that the text will not answer these questions for you. Though many people have tried to make this text answer such questions... I will not do you the disservice of making up answers the text does not provide. Now, is that just a cop-out? There you go, you Christians. No, I don't believe it's a cop-out. It's simply a frank admission that we can't expect an ancient text to answer all of our modern questions. We must take this text for what it is, And focus on what it demands that we focus on. 
which is that these foreigners came to see, verse 2, the king of the Jews. Which is rather inconsiderate of them, don't you think? I mean, the king of the Jews is right there in front of them. Verse 1 says that all this took place in the days of Herod the king. And verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. It's as though some Saudi oil barons arrive at the steps of the White House. And they bump into a soft-spoken older gentleman flanked by tough guys with sunglasses and earpieces. And they ask this white-haired fellow, who's in charge of the place? So that we can honor someone with real power. But check out what Herod does next. In verse 4, he assembles all the chief priests and the, the scribes of the people. He brings his cabinet together and he asks them where the Christ was supposed to be born. The Christ is a fancy Christian word. It means something like the chosen one. Where is he supposed to be born? And those cabinet members dip into the archives of the nation's founding documents to divulge what was obvious to most of them, that the chosen one had to be born, verse 5, in the town of Bethlehem. Notice what's happening here. The guy who calls himself king of the Jews, the guy who wants to be king, does not know what the founding documents of his nations have to say about kings. It's as though those Saudi oil barons bump into our elected executive and the president claims to have heard of something called the Bill of Rights, but he's not really sure what's in it. So he has to summon a team of paralegals to help him solve the mysteries of free speech and the free exercise of religion and stuff like that. It's hard to understand. These wise men came to find the king. And they don't care who wears the crown. They're not interested in any pretenders. What about you? Do you care to find the real king? Or do you prefer your pretenders who wear the crown? Does being in the presence of real power mean anything to you this Christmas? When I or Rachel or, or Daniel exhort you, as we will a little bit later, to with the angels let us sing. Alleluia to our King. And we ask you to sing that with us. Does your heart flutter and leap into your throat? Do your palms start to sweat and your hands start to shake as you realize that this is it? This is the one you've been looking for your whole life. This is the person who can finally do something about everything that's gone wrong. Or have you become so tired and bored of Jesus 
that you're still concerned about getting your promotion in time for the new year. Or you hope we move this thing along so you can get back to opening presents and accumulating wealth. Because these wise men don't care who wears the crown. They don't care where wealth or power or prestige is to be found. They are just trying to find the real king so they can give up their wealth as an act of worship to him. And I'm not usually very interested in sappy or sentimental Christian slogans, but I do really like that one that regularly shows up in Christmas cards I get that says, wise men still seek him. And that takes us into the second scene, which describes how those who seek the king eventually find the king. Verses 7 through 15. They find the king. Verse 7, Herod sends the wise men off with a request that once they find their king, they report back to him so that Herod can also worship. Verse 9, they go on their way, and this is the point where the text first mentions the star moving until it leads them to the very house where the child was. Now, this story assumes that you already know who the child is. In verse 1 of the chapter, we were told that all of this took place after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It assumes, chapter 2 of Matthew assumes that you've already read chapter 1 of Matthew, which describes this birth of Jesus itself. And to get what's happening here, you need to know two things from chapter 1. The first thing you need to know is that this child has quite a pedigree. He is of royal stock, having descended from Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, through the royal son Judah, and on through the greatest king, King David. He has incredible pedigree. And the second thing you need to know from chapter 1 is that this child was labeled in that chapter four times as the Christ, the chosen one. He's not only descended from the Jewish line of kings, but he is declared to be the king, the chosen king, the final king who would vindicate the nation as the people of God and restore them to greatness. It is that child that these wise men now come to see, having been directed in verse 9 by his star. So in verse 11, they enter the house, they see the child with his mother, and they fall down and worship. Now that is so unusual, because when people worship a leader, they typically worship a leader, someone who is leading people. And a baby is not a leader of anybody. People certainly get excited about babies, but in normal life, you don't ever see people pledge their allegiance to babies. 
People throw in their lot with a candidate for office or with a dynamic guru who has a following. But these wise men turned aside from the guy with all the power and the wealth in order to chuck their wealth at the feet of a baby. Or perhaps he was a toddler at this point. Many wear a crown, but only Jesus is the king. And these guys know it. They don't even care if he's actively in charge of anything just yet. And their allegiance to him is honored by means of a dream in verse 12, warning them not to return to Herod. And then a second dream comes in verse 13 to Joseph, the child's adoptive father, urging Joseph to flee with the family to Egypt. Though this child is the true king of heaven and earth, pretenders to the throne will not rejoice at his coming. And so they need to get out. Now, how does all of this apply? They find the king. But what do we do about this? Friends, please beware becoming another pretender. This world is filled with those who either wear a crown or who want to wear a crown. If you don't yet follow Jesus, please understand that only he is the true king. Only he can fix what's wrong in the world. Only Jesus can bring heaven to earth. Only Jesus can institute righteous justice. All others are just pretenders. Please don't seek a crown for yourself, but worship Jesus the King. And if you do follow Jesus, then please remember that only He is the real King. You have been snatched out of the kingdom of this world and adopted into his heavenly kingdom. This Christmas, it is fitting for you to live and move and have your being as a subject in his kingdom. Your joy will be elevated as you find your place in him. And you don't just try to fit him into your own hopes and dreams for yourself. But this will not be easy. It has never been easy and it never will be easy. In fact, the world has always been threatened by those who proclaim Jesus as king. So strap in for a rather unpleasant ride. It will be worth it in the end, but you need to know that the unpleasantness of worshiping this king is inevitable. And that's because of point three, our third scene, which is that the crown can't find the king. In verses 16 through 18. In verse 16, Herod realizes that the wise men aren't going to keep the deal he made with them and he flies off the handle. That's because his worship was never meant for Jesus, but for himself. He's got to keep his crown at all costs. So he does the math according to what they told him, and he sends his troops to execute every male child in the town of Bethlehem. He cannot allow any rival claimants to his crown. This is very wicked. 
But consider, this is not only wicked, it's also immature and incredibly childish. I mean, have you ever considered how ridiculously insecure someone has to be in order to attack those who might take something from them? If you had anything of value or worth to offer the world, you would be unafraid of rivals. Let them come, let them do their worst, and let the best king win. But when you know you are inferior, you must attack those who are superior to you. Keep that in mind. Friends, as Christianity comes under increasing attack in our society, it will be tempting to fight back in order to keep our peace and self-respect. But when you know that what you have is better than what your attackers have, you don't have to fight them over it. Let them do their worst. The church of Jesus Christ has withstood the most vicious of attacks for millennia, and it will continue to do so. No one can stop it. Nero and Domitian couldn't stop it. Mao and the Soviets couldn't stop it. Friedrich Nietzsche and Bertrand Russell couldn't take down Christianity or stamp it out. The true king cannot be erased or canceled by the squealing little whines of insecure intellectuals or childish rulers. So it's just not get worth getting worked up over the wrath of the world or those in the world. Many wear a crown, but only Jesus is the king. So Herod makes his attempt to destroy the true king. Verse 16, he kills all the boys aged two and younger in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was a small town, so we estimate this may have involved the deaths of a dozen or so infants maybe as many as 20. But even though it doesn't involve thousands or millions, it still unmasks Herod as a pretender to the throne. He must stamp out opposition and keep the people under his complete control. Now, brothers and sisters, wouldn't it be great to have a political leader who didn't exploit us for his own power? but someone who brought real comfort to those in sorrow. Such comfort is possible. In verse 18, Matthew quotes a prophecy from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah about the mothers of Israel weeping for their children at the time who have been conquered and deported into a foreign land. And Jeremiah very quickly follows that prophecy with a staggering promise that same chapter, that God will make a new covenant with his people. He'll strike up a new bargain. He'll draft a new treaty where they will be his people and he will be their God forever. And Matthew now taps into that promise by referring to it. Despite the sorrow of the mothers of Bethlehem, the king has come who will enact a better constitution for the people, and he will seal the deal God has promised for ages to forgive all of our sins. And the one who wears the crown 
will never find this king. At least as long as the crown wants to destroy the king. But if those who wear the crown will submit to the true king, they too can find life, forgiveness, and heaven on earth. But for those who will not submit and who remain resistant to Jesus, the true king, Matthew describes their fate in the final scene. Number four in your outline, the king surpasses the crown, verses 19 through 23. Herod tries to kill Jesus, and Jesus, even though he's just a baby, gets away. So what happens next? Look at verse 19. But when Herod died, (laughs) Jesus gets the last laugh. Despite all his posturing and his buffoonery and his wickedness, Herod cannot overcome the death that comes to all men. Jesus survives and he moves back to Israel with his family in verse 21. And Jesus would grow up and he would continue to suffer attack from the pretenders to the throne. Jesus will one day be put to death himself for simply claiming to be the chosen king. That's a claim that the powers that be cannot tolerate. So they kill him. And Jesus suffers the fate of all men. But the difference between Jesus and Herod and between Jesus and those who ordered his execution is that Jesus chose to die. Nobody took his life from him. He willingly gave it up. And you know what happened three days later? He chose to rise back up. Vindicating his claims to be the true king of the world. Praise God for that. He vindicated his claims to have accomplished all that he said he would do. Jesus is the king who backed up his claim with something no pretender could ever do. He rose from the dead and he now still lives and breathes at the right hand of God the Father. And because of that, your allegiance to him as the true king will never go unnoticed. Even when false claimants to the throne break out against all good sense and they attack you, Jesus sees, Jesus knows, Jesus will repay it all one day when he returns to judge every man and woman. So may your celebration of Christmas this year serve as a powerful reminder to you that you are not alone. You are not unnoticed. You are not abandoned. You are not without help. Because you have a king. Many wear a crown. But only Jesus is the king. 
the king of men and angels. Let the earth receive him. Shepherds guard him and angels sing about him. If you would like to learn more about this king before you go home today, please don't wait. Let me know. I would love to talk to you after the service. Because wise men and women still seek him. May we join and ever remain in their number. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we bow before you who are the king, you who reign over heaven and earth, you who do all things well, and you who will make all things right. We long for the day when you will return and establish your kingdom in fullness and that you will remake this world into a place where only righteousness dwells. Help us to long for that day even as today we look back and see how you got things started that are taking us in that direction. Please help us, we pray, to be changed forever as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.